No energy, no town. Be King Arab. Sure, be a fairy princess. Mad Max Minute, where we try to disarm the booby traps in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 20, which begins with Blackfinger thinking he's got a solution to the dynamite trap, and it ends with Max revealing his royal position within Fey society. <laughs> so our dear Blackfinger, our new character from Monday's Minute, is wandering around the front of Max's vehicle, and he's thinking out loud to himself. And I love that we get an example of someone in this movie thinking out loud to himself, talking through a problem, because that's exactly what I do, and people always give me crap for it. <laughs> I really like that we get to see someone working out a problem out loud, because in this society of Bartertown, where everything can be traded, including knowledge and information, Blackfinger right now is freely giving it away. Anybody who happens to be nearby now knows that the dynamite is connected to the timing device, which is connected to the switch, which he can't find, which is connected to the battery. Now everybody within hearing knows this. But that's not a bad thing. It's not like this is information that he would want to withhold. If anything, he would want to publicize that information so that if anyone is listening in, which there's a lot of people hanging around this situation, if someone has seen this type of situation before, it gives them the opportunity to pipe in and say, oh, that reminds me of a very similar situation I had, and this is how I dealt with it. True. Like, he's not dealing with a situation where secrecy is important. This is all of their livelihoods involved. Okay, I agree with you, but I also stand by what I said. Because he had information about what he had figured out about how the dynamite was set up. And no matter what, information is a commodity. And it can be traded, and it can be purchased, and it can be sold. And he just gave it away for free. For better or worse, and I, I agree that it was for the better... Because as we see by the end of this minute, Max overhears this and stops him. So it works out. But knowledge is still a commodity, and he gave it away for free. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to argue that information is not a commodity. I think I'm getting tripped up on the idea that this information would have value in this situation. Like, Master Blaster is not a combination of individuals who is going to entertain the idea of being held ransom for information. The Blackfinger is not in a position to turn around to Master Blaster and be like, oh, I've figured out how to disarm it. I want this. Because Blaster would walk over and wring his neck. Yes, but okay, let's draw a parallel to another finger, to Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, who is the exact opposite type of person from Blackfinger. He never lets anything go for free. He would, from his point of view, from Littlefinger's point of view, from his scheming, manipulative point of view, would say, okay, I know this information. How can I go out of my way to make this information work for me? How can I make this gain me something? And Blackfinger just isn't like that. He doesn't think like that. Yeah. I kind of feel like we're at an apples and oranges situation now. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We'll, we'll press on. Yeah. <laughs> so Max has connected the dynamite to the timing device. The timing device 
is that thing that makes sure that your spark plugs fire at the right time to push the piston back down in the engine. So that kind of tells me that if Blackfinger were to try to turn over the engine, that's what would make it explode. I like the idea of that because it's naturally what you do to a car. Yeah. That's just what you do with a car. And it's also what Max wasn't doing. He wasn't running the engine. It was probably just a neutral and just rolling along. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of booby trap that Max doesn't have to worry about setting off because A, he doesn't have fuel and B, he's never going to drive it because it's just going to get dragged around. The booby trap that he had in the interceptor, where it was triggered by opening up the gas tanks, that was something he consciously had to disarm every time he found gasoline, or petrol, or whatever we're calling it nowadays. Guzzoline, if you want to be obnoxious. But this protective measure is a lot more passive to Max's everyday use of this vehicle. I definitely feel like it's similar to the interceptor, where he was targeting people specifically who were trying to steal his fuel. Now he is specifically targeting people who want to steal the car itself. Yeah. Who are going to do the work to it that it needs to get running again. And in the course of doing that, they're going to try and turn over the engine. Right. When the mechanic gets to the end of his thought process and he says, I'll disconnect the battery. First of all, he feels very proud of himself for reaching that conclusion. But as you said, Max is in the wings, eavesdropping, and he says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And my initial thought is that Max has a failsafe in place that would trigger the dynamite if the battery were disconnected. But it could also be that disconnecting the battery would give Blackfinger a false sense of security and he would proceed to blow all of them up regardless. The third option is that disconnecting the battery would have completely removed the threat from the dynamite and Max was just throwing them off the trail. Hmm. Well, I like the idea that disconnecting the battery would do the trick. And so Max was bluffing, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that idea. It seems very Maxian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a line from a movie that I keep thinking of that I'm reminded of by the line, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm pretty sure it's from Princess Bride. Oh, I wouldn't say such things if I were you. That's what. Uh, like, you know how you get songs stuck in your head? Yep. I had that line stuck in my head <laughs> from Princess Bride. Say, get a line stuck in your head from Princess Bride? That never happens. No. You would almost say that such a thing is not able to be conceived. <laughs> As I mentioned, Max has stepped out of the shadows and has delivered his I wouldn't do that if I were you. And everyone turns to look at him and Master demands, who you? And Max steps forward and says, me, Max. I don't recall any recent instance of Max identifying himself by name because in the first movie, it was always the other MFP officers or Jesse who were talking to him, calling him Max, and we knew that. In Road Warrior, there was that time where Papa Gallo tried to convince Max to drive the tanker and follow them to Sunshine Coast, and he referred to him by name, even though I don't think Max actually introduced himself in that movie, but Not it might have been an off-camera thing. Yeah. But it's interesting to hear Max himself introduce himself. Other movies, you have to wait to the very end for something like that. Yeah, he does seem to give it up very freely. I'm trying to derive some kind of meaning from that, but I'm not. Okay. <laughs> 
I just found it interesting and rather out of the ordinary. So it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, we get a nice close up on Master as he calls Max smart. And Max responds to that compliment by just pointing out, that's my vehicle. This is not the last time that Max is going to say that phrase to Master. <laughs> this is just the first time. Next time, it's going to be a lot more confrontational. But it makes sense. Of course, Max knows a lot about this vehicle because it is his. Master doesn't seem to care that Max had any sort of ownership of this vehicle and just tells him to disarm. To which Max replies, how much? It's at this point that I'm kind of wondering if Max was looking to see if Master Blaster could get him a better deal than Auntie. I mean, he's being smart about it. He's not letting on why he's down there in the first place. So maybe he's just testing Master Blaster just to see how arrogant he really is. Yeah, in the novelization, Max going down to Underworld to work and these interactions with Master Blaster are a bit of an audition. Yeah. He doesn't actually agree to the deal until after all of this takes place. So, yeah, I think he's trying to suss out what sort of person Master is and if Blaster really deserves to die. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get the sense that Max is really that honorable. I mean, I don't know. I'm willing to bet that if Max had been offered a better deal from Master Blaster, he might have taken them up on it, but it's kind of hard to drive a better bargain than the one that Auntie was going to give him. I doubt that Master would have been able to meet that same deal. Right, because Master can't give him more than the value of the vehicle because that just doesn't make any sense. Right. But Auntie is offering him way more than the value of just the vehicle. She's offering him the value of the vehicle and the camels and all the stuff that was in it. Mm -hmm. And especially if Master doesn't know that he's in competition for Max's attentions then there's just no way that he can keep up with Auntie. And Max definitely would not let on that he's gotten an offer from another party. Like, that's not how he is. He's smarter than that. He is because he's keeping information to himself. Right. Absolutely. You can also look at the situation and say that Master would never offer Max anything because Master is just arrogant like that. Master is the <laughs> master of his domain, so why would he kowtow to anyone or offer anything? He says specifically in response to how much, he says, no trade do. Yeah, this drives me nuts. Yeah. They are in barter town. It is in the name. Well, Nobody does anything for free. You could argue that they are not in Barter Town, they're in Underworld. Yeah. And when you're in Underworld, vampires and werewolves have guns for some reason. You know, <laughs> the rules kind of go out the window. Uh, I'll give you that. Any sort of trade or progress or diplomatic interactions that are happening up topside, that's not how it is down here. Yeah. It's not a trade democracy, it's a master tatership. It was really clunky, I know, but you get what I was trying to go for, right? Yeah, I'm just yeah. glad you said tatership, because that was great. <laughs> a tatership is when you get a clump of frozen french fries that float on top of the frying oil. Ooh. They never really cook, because they don't get oh. down in the oil. Oh, okay. Tatership. No. It's disappointing. That is disappointing. <laughs> I think this is another signifier that Master has no respect or gives any value to Auntie. Oh, yeah. I agree. Her half of the world that is Barter Town, he doesn't value it. He doesn't value its policies and the way that it's run that 
The system is based on trade. Well, you're right. Not down here. And he does not care about up there. Max is not impressed by Master's posturing. And so he turns to walk away. He turns his back on Master Blaster, which is not something that people do to Master. And so he takes his little fist and he bangs on Blaster's helmet and he yells, Fetch! It's like he's really got to stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it happened. As a blaster reaches out his big old mitt and he grabs Max around the neck. And, oh, Max's eyes go wide in this situation. As soon as that hand goes around his neck and starts to tighten and lift, Max is suddenly in over his head. <laughs> well, I don't think he expected to be lifted up by the neck. Okay, I'll give you that, that I don't think he expected to be lifted up physically off the floor by his neck. Yeah. But to be stopped in a physical way, I think was very predictable, and Max is smart. So I think he was expecting to be stopped, especially when he turned his back on Master Blaster. He knew he was going to be physically stopped. I think he was surprised by the method. Yeah. He's been watching Master Blaster for the better part of that day. He's been watching him stomp around. He's been watching him move and interact with people. And I think Max has been doing more or less threat assessments of Blaster's capabilities and Master's control over his giant that he rides. So I imagine, yeah, he probably expected something, just not this. <laughs> Blaster not only grabs Max around the neck, but he lifts him up off the ground to the level that Master is able to look him in the eye. I love this. Blaster is six foot eight inches, according to the information I found about the actor. That's 2.07 meters. Max is only 5'10", 1.77 meters for mm -hmm. metric people. And Blaster has not only raised Max up to Blaster's regular height, but higher than that. Yeah. So he's got to be at least a good foot or 30 centimeters off the ground. Yeah, that sounds about right. We get this fantastic shot of Max's muddy, gross boots. Oh, I love that you think it's mud. <laughs> well, it's, you know, yeah. it's mud-like. We, we know what it is. Yeah. And it's you're right. It's about a foot up off the ground. I think they did a pretty good job of being accurate about how high off the ground he was. The imagery is reminiscent of A New Hope, where Vader takes the rebel leader and he force chokes him and lifts him up off the ground. Oh, yeah. And, and we get, get a shot. And you get boots kind of Yes. Kicking. Yes. I completely forgot about that. Yes. And I love it. I love that Max isn't kicking wildly. He's just kind of hanging there. Right. He's being smart about it. Well, no, he's about to be very stupid about it. <laughs> but he's handling himself. Right. Which we know Max is really good at handling himself in life and death situations. Yeah. And in fact, in this movie, I think his best moments have been when he's in mortal peril. Yeah. That's when he's the snarkiest, when the visuals are the best. This movie so far has been the best when Max is in serious trouble. Yeah, I dare say that Mel Gibson's performance in this movie specifically gives Max the most amount of character. Yeah, I agree. And when I say character, that's kind of combining personality and action and everything like that yeah. together into one package. I think upon casual viewing, I think that's very true. But we are no longer casual viewers and we will never get to watch these movies casually again. Are you going uh, to say that Max is better portrayed in the first movie? I'm not going to say better. 
I'm going to say that that he also has plenty of character in the other two movies. Mm-hmm. It's so it's very much more subtle in the first two movies, the first one especially. But there's still if you look closely at it and if you watch it slow like us and if you analyze it like us, you see how much character development there is in the first movie and the second movie. And this one too, this one's just a little bit more out there about it. I'm starting to think that of the three Maxes we've seen, first movie Max, Road Warrior Max, and Thunderdome Max, Thunderdome Max might be my favorite one because he has these quippy little lines that he throws in every so often. Which he's about to have a fantastic conversation. So Max has been raised up by Blaster. We had a little Josh Groban moment. And Master is looking Max in the eye. He says, me order, me master, me run barter town. And it's that statement right there that prompts Max to fire back with, sure, that's why you live in... Let's say squalor. Squalor is an excellent squalor word for it. Squalor is a good replacement for it. Yeah. I would not necessarily say that this is a good position for Max to crack wise, but he'd be damned if he didn't just get in a few jabs at Master. Yes, his crony has him about the neck and he's up off the floor, but Max is still Max. So he's going to crack wise. And Master fires back with not, we'll say, filth, energy. And <laughs> Max. Gets a little Shakespearean on us because, you know, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet and therefore the opposite must also be true because (laughs) Max says, call it what you will, it still smells like refuse, we'll say, to me. (laughs) Which infuriates Master. He does not like Underworld being spoken down about. And he says, not excrement, we'll say, energy. There's a nice little bit of alliteration going on there. And he says, no energy, no town. Hmm. I'm not sure that's true. I feel like Master is operating under the impression that Barter Town is nothing more than the lights and the vehicles. It's very myopic. Yes. I think Barter Town has a specific draw because it has electricity. Yeah. It's a very attractive feature. Yes. But if it didn't have electricity, if all it had was a reputation for fair trade and the reputation of law and the Thunderdome, none of those things require electricity. Right. They can all function without Underworld. One of the biggest things about Barter Town is that it is a place where you can go with your goods and be assured that you're not going to be robbed in the middle of the night because there's guards all over the place. Yeah. There are people watching your back professionally, yes. so to speak. And as long as you come to trade equitably, you're more or less going to be treated equitably. Now, granted, we haven't gotten into the idea of how Thunderdome operates. That's going to be later on. I think it's going to be like a week or two before we get back to that point. I mean, there are going to be ways that you can exploit the rules of Barter Town to be unfair to other people. But considering that the wasteland is lawless and dangerous, the fact that Barter Town offers some sort of security is a huge plus. And yeah, if all the lights go out, it would be a blow to the infrastructure. But Auntie's going to say herself later on in this movie, we will rebuild. It's one of those things where they can bounce back from the loss of energy. Yes. I mean, society already did it. They've already bounced back once. Exactly. They'll do it again. With or without electricity, Barter Town can be Barter Town. Mm-hmm. Barter Town can be Barter Town without Underworld, but can Underworld be Underworld without Barter Town? What's the point? If you are just generating energy for the sake of generating energy without any of the infrastructure on the surface, you're more or less a sitting target. You're like the compound. 
found. Ah, exactly. Oh, I really like that. We talked a lot about what ifs with the compound. What if they had struck a deal for protection and all of these kinds of things with the gang well they would have turned into something like barter town Mm -hmm. probably not based on equitable trade right but it would have been an energy plant partnering with a group of people for mutual benefit i imagine they would have ended up like this that if papagallo and humongous had struck a deal it probably would have turned more into the gas town citadel partnership from fury road Mm-hmm. where Humongous would have fallen into the Aborton Joe role and Papagallo would have fallen into the People Eater role. Yeah. And they would have worked together like that, where one was more or less independent of the other, but also at the same time somewhat subservient type of thing, mm-hmm. owing allegiance and whatnot. But that's a whole entire other thing. I'm looking forward to the gap between this movie and Fury Road because we went out and we spent the money on those Vertigo comics and I read them all in one night. And there's a <laughs> lot of good stuff in there. I can't wait to read them. Like, you think the novelization of Thunderdome is good? Those Vertigo comics are really good. Excellent. Highly recommend going out and buying them if you can. I think it only cost me like 20 bucks. And I think I've said that exact thing like seven times, but doesn't matter. The absolute last thing that Master says in this minute specifically is me king Arab. And that's just a funny little line. I... I feel like it's a callback to the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. This reference to the Arab countries being so energy rich and yeah. therefore powerful. Yeah, I think it really is that simple. I think he's referring back to old society and the reputation that the Middle East had for exactly being rich in oil. And I guess he aspires to that, Mm -hmm. which I certainly can't blame him because the people who rule over those countries and who rule over the oil fields, they're very, very wealthy people. Yeah. They're very powerful people. They live in absolute luxury. They're some of the richest people on the planet. So if you have the skill and the commodity of energy, why can't that be you? Mm -hmm. Max is not impressed with that statement, however. Mm -hmm. And he fires back with, sure, me fairy princess. He's just poking the bear and he's doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. He wants to see what Blaster can do. Yeah. (laughs) So he's poking the bear on purpose. Yeah. And it's funny because we'll talk about it in the next minute. He's poking the bear trying to find out what Blaster can do. He finds nothing out about what Blaster can do right now. He finds a lot about what Master can do. I would argue that Max is finding out a lot of information about how on a leash Blaster is. Blaster doesn't do anything unless Master wants him to do it. Yes. So if Max can get Blaster into a situation where Blaster starts operating on his own, right? that would allow him to uncover some more information. Going back to that statement, sure, me fairy princess, I feel like Max being secretly a fairy princess would explain his longevity in the series, how he can suddenly just get younger and still be the same character. <laughs> And have other people around him that are supposedly his same knowledge base, like first generation Wastelander, but he's so much younger than them. So I don't know, maybe there's some like pixie dust involved. So you think he's more of a Tinkerbell to the waiting ones rather than their Peter Pan? Possibly. Okay. Possibly. I mean, he certainly doesn't dress like Tinkerbell in Hook or at the Disney movies. (laughs) (laughs) No, but at least he does show off his legs in those tight leather pants. Yes. Not in the same way that Julia Roberts does. 
I mean, that's a whole other thing. I'm, get, <laughs> I'm getting into the weekend show. I'm letting it bleed over too much. By the way, we have a weekend show. Go to our Patreon. Give us three bucks a month. You can listen to it. It's really good. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah. And we haven't gotten to Tinkerbell's legs yet. Exactly. Yeah, that comes later. Max's fairy princess comment is going to rile up Master to the point where he makes a declaration in Friday's Minute. So we're going to put a pin in things for now. We're going to come back on Friday. We're going to see what Master declares and how the other people in Bartertown feel about that. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 20 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Over!